All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do this. Okay. Hello, you beautiful freak family. We are so glad to see you again. I don't see anyone. Wherever you may be listening in this great world of ours. Oh, did you see that? You've got your email up. Do you have the email that we just got uh, from, from Australia? From Australia. Yes. Yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah. Uh, it was Liz. Liz emailed from Melbourne, and she said she friggin' loves us, which is amazing. Um, and she said that in Australia, podcasts are called potties, which I think is amazing. P O D D Y. <laughs> and um, so, does that mean we have potty mouths? Uh, 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 Thanks for making my day freaky. I just listened to your story on the plague and I wanted to share something I bought on a recent trip to Florence, Italy. My souvenirs are not clothing or normal stuff. I like to seek out historical goodies for my cabinet of curiosities. I visited the 400-year-old Officina Porfumo Pharmaceutica di Santa Maria Novella, which is one of the world's oldest pharmacies and started by Dominican monks. One of the company's ancient preparations is called Aceto Aromatico, which was the original Seven Thieves vinegar. The story has it that when the plague appeared in Toulouse between 1628 and 1631, this vinegar was used by seven thieves, each one of which only knew one of its components, and it enabled the thieves to steal from the ill without being infected. <laughs> That's important. It's, to be able to thieve without getting sick. It's forward thinking. This remedy was spread on the hands and face and burned in homes to prevent the spread of communicable diseases. Read more about it and other preparations here if you'd like. And there is a link to 
I bought some of this, and holy mother of God, it would kill any living creature that inhaled even the smallest waft. I was not prepared for the smell. The strongest herbal vinegar smell that pretty much went straight into my brain cleaned out the last 20 years of memory before exiting my nose. It was intense. I'm going to try it for my next hangover. But now I have a small glass vial of this precious piece of history in my cabinet. Keep on keeping on, and thanks again for the great stories, Liz. Liz, you are serious. You are hardcore. I love it. Golf clap for Liz. I love it. That's fantastic. I'm so I don't, happy. I don't know if I'd want to smell it after her. Oh, her. I 100% want to. Yeah, yes. do you? Really? Mm-hmm. I think that her uh, concept of it being a hangover cure is uh, magnificent. Though usually tacos works just fine for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I do believe that you go first. Do I? Yes, you do. Okay. So I've... Uh, I've spent most of the day cleaning out the basement and there was a lot of stuff in there that we just need to get rid of. And uh, part of my cleaning process and my breaks that led to me on the internet and the back and forth of all of it made me start thinking about trash. And I was really in, I was working my way down a weird garbage rabbit hole on the internet. (laughs) I'll bet you could find some really strange things when you start Googling rabbit hole garbage. (laughs) And here's something that I found that's fun. In February 1971, Alan Shepard hit two golf balls on the moon's surface, thus becoming the first man to play golf in space. He guesses his second shot went more than 200 yards. The balls (laughs) are still there. I thought they'd still be in orbit or something at this point. I remember when that happened. I was just a little kid, and I remember there being some kind of a uh, editorial cartoon in the newspaper with him standing on the moon in his uh, astronaut outfit with like a pitching wedge, mm-hmm. <clears throat> just chipping it in. And I also remember there being like some kind of a um, NASA was mad at him because he snuck that stuff on board. Oh, did he? <laughs> I don't understand how you can possibly sneak anything on board a spaceship. Probably the rules are a little different now. He got <laughs> away with it. In the 70s. Yep. Everything was weird in the 70s. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Commander Shepard? Yes. Do you need these ping irons? Yes. All right, right this way. Play through. Well, according to Wikipedia... There's about 400,000 earth pounds of trash on the moon. Already? Yeah. Man, we really trash things up. Now, that's what it weighed when it was on earth, but up there it doesn't weigh as much. Right. Because of the anti-gravity. So it's fine. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. Um, a lot of those are heavy artifacts, uh, like five moon rangers that are still there, uh, and various other chunks of, of spacecraft stuff that they didn't need for return. So they're kind of like, hey, we'll just put us over here with the rest of the trash. It's, and It's like a used car lot up there. <laughs> Come on down to Crazy Allen's used ranger country. We will not be undersold. Pew, pew, pew. Pew. <laughs> so much of this moon litter was left by NASA astronauts who left, uh, who landed on the lunar surface between 1969 and 1972 during the Apollo program. The other rubbish which is not a word. The other rubbish comes from crewless missions from space exploring agencies, including those from the U.S., Russia, Japan, India, and Europe. 
So as Americans, we can be proud that we hand-delivered our trash we, we to the really moon. We really did. Yeah. We just brought it right there with people, and we were like, we're going to leave this here. And also, I saw a guy flick his cigarette butt out the window the other day at, here on Earth. And I was like, <laughs> you know what, Gary? That's not cool. Why are people still doing this? And that's the thing is, you know, the whole straw controversy has come up lately. Mm. And it's like, you know, and yes, I have the stainless steel straws um, because I saw that that turtle video. But um, straws are not the big problem. You know what the big problem is? Cigarette butts. Number one trash item. Cigarette butts. Stop Throwing them out of your car windows. Gary. Gary. She calls everybody Gary. That's just her word for guy. Famed planetary geologist Eugene Shoemaker dreamed of going to the moon in his lifetime. Eugene Merle Shoemaker, also known as Gene Shoemaker, was an American geologist and one of the founders of the field of planetary science. He's best known for co-discovering the comet Shoemaker-Levy 9. Instead of getting to go to the moon, though, an urn of his ashes went there. There is an urn on the moon with the remains of Ernest Shoemaker. It's got a brass piece of foil uh, on the urn that has a passage from Romeo and Juliet. And it says, And when he shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars, and he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. Wow. Yeah. So it's a trash heap and a graveyard. That's nice. We love the moon. Thanks for our tides. Gene Roddenberry's ashes are like orbiting the earth. Are they? Yeah. They blasted a vial of his ashes into orbit after he died. But I really like what Hunter S. Thompson did and just had his ashes fired out of a cannon. Stop it. I We're do, not doing that. I want to do that. No. Please. We'll discuss it. Thanks. There's a document from the University of Michigan on the moon um, establishing a lunar branch of the University of Michigan. <laughs> so James Irwin, David Scott, and Alfred Warden um, all had ties to the university. Scott only attended the university for a year. Irwin earned two master's degrees in aeronautical engineering and instrumentation engineering at the university in 1957. And Warden completed the same degrees in 1963. So Warden remained in lunar orbit on the spacecraft while Irwin and Scott explored the surface in the first ever lunar rover tootle time. Mm -hmm. And... They So they left a document on the moon stating that the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan, Charter No. 1, certifies that the University of Michigan Club of the Moon is a duly constituted unit of the Alumni Association and entitled to all the rights and privileges under the association's constitution. That is so cool. <laughs> I love how astrona astronauts are using the experience for their own personal, <clears throat> for their own personal whims. Well, there's got to be something yeah. that's, especially the early astronauts who were going into this completely unknown blackness and the, probably NASA was like, sure, you go ahead, you take that ping mm -hmm. and you, it's fine. Just, yep, probably going to die. It's fine. Just take your, <laughs> just do whatever. And it really, I think I would have too. I would have been like, yeah, you want to. Take some garbage and leave your garbage there. It's fine. I Please send us photos of it. Of your lunar trash. So neat. So neat. 
there's a falcon feather still on the moon. How did that get there? So on August 2nd, 1971, at the end of the last EVA of the Apollo 15 mission. By the way, my topic today is about moon trash. Oh, yeah. In case you hadn't picked up. (laughs) (laughs) I put two and two together. Commander David Scott took a few minutes to conduct a classic science experiment in front of the TV camera that had been set up just outside the module. The lunar module is called the Falcon, and uh, so he had a falcon feather and a hammer to perform Galileo's oh, test yeah. about if you drop them at the same time, right. you know, when which would drop first. In a vacuum. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is objects of different masses react the same way to gravity when dropped. They... And they did. They fell at the same rate. They dropped at the same time, which is mind-blowing and still doesn't make sense in my stupid, stupid brain. (laughs) How about that, he said, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Uh, This proves that Mr. Galileo was correct in his findings. Uh, The falcon feather, which had been plucked from a real-life falcon mascot at the Air Force Academy, still remains on the moon. Like any other travelers, so often you pack, you bring all the things that you need, and then you get to where you're going, you want to bring stuff back, so you got to make some room in your suitcase. Right, for all those souvenir lunar t-shirts. Right. Um, Or in this case, you know, science stuff. They've got to core out some of the moon. They've got to get some rocks. They've got to take samples of this and that. It's mostly rocks. Yeah. So what could they leave? Well, one of the things that they could leave was... Uh, 96 bags of human waste. Really? So one of the ways... We've pooped on the moon already. One of the things that they oh, come left on, guys. was excrement and urine and vomit. Um, because, well, why are they going to bring it back to Earth? And they needed to make some room. So that's what uh, estimates say. There are as many as 96 bags of human excrement on the moon. Okay, this is a weird thought, but this is how my brain works. Go. If you were able to go to the moon mm-hmm. and retrieve bags of Alan Shepard and Neil Armstrong's poop, right. what would that sell for on eBay? I bet it would do pretty well. I would think. I would think. And it would be as fresh as the day it was born, I would think. It's probably vacuum sealed. It's vacuum sealed. There's no oxygen. Not a lot of elemental right. breakdown. Right. I'm going to put that up online just to see if I get any hits. Are you putting writing some notes down I'm right write, now? I'm writing. Make fake Neil Armstrong poop. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. I've seen weirder things. <laughs> Somebody sold a, a jar of ghost poop, and it was just a baby food jar full of cotton balls. <laughs> Somebody bought it. <laughs> Wasn't there like a sweat-drenched prince scarf sold for like thousands of dollars something like that. yeah if it it's just you know we have interests and i think that's what makes us wonderful Mm -hmm. i think that our interests and our passions are the most important thing in what makes us individuals uh i don't get it i don't think i will ever understand an obsession with prince sweat but um (laughs) But I did hear that he uh, was a great supporter of the arts anonymously, and I I find that endearing. I just want to be known as the world's foremost collector of lunar turds. 
I believe in you. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Anyway, that's what I've got for moon trash. You know, that that would be even more interesting if we'd actually gone to the moon. Yes. You know. That's something I think that we should definitely start traveling to the places that we're talking about. Well, I mean us as a as a as a race. Instead of like them faking it in a studio. Oh, oh I see. Stanley Kubrick's backyard. Sure. You yeah. Know, when they did that. Lunar turds. That thing on the side? No. It's that thing in the middle. Sometimes on the thing in the middle, we do a feature called uh, Glitch in the Matrix. Mm. And I really enjoy those because we, we get these stories. And then a friend of ours, Mandy, does the voiceover of them. And then we produce them with sound effects and music and that sort of thing. We thought it would be fun to invite you, our beautiful freaks, to send us your true glitch story. And you can do that just by recording it on your phone and emailing it to us at curator at the box of oddities.com. That's what Tyler did. And Tyler did not disappoint. Here's Tyler's true glitch. I live in a small farming community in Wyoming. My house is surrounded by fields and in the fall, those fields are usually full of cattle. One night I was outside looking at the stars with the mooing of the cows in the distance. That's when I heard it. A cow way off in the distance saying my name. Tyler. My first thought was, what the hell, that almost sounded like my name. Then I heard it again. Tyler. I was thinking, holy shit, that cow is saying my name. Then it happened again. Tyler. And again, and again. Finally I yelled, what? Tyler. What, what do you want? Tyler. This went on until my wife at the time came outside and asked me what the hell I was yelling at. I told her, shit you not, there's a cow that keeps saying my name. She just rolled her eyes. I said, no, wait, listen. Moo. Whatever, she said. Knock it off before you wake up the kids. It's like, no, I'm serious. There's a cow that keeps saying my name. Moo. She turned and walked into the house, and as soon as she walked into the house, Tyler. Fuck you, cow. You made me look like an asshole. Tyler. Fuck you. I never did see the cow that said my name, and it hasn't happened since that night. And that is my true glitch story. <laughs> I've never seen anybody trash talk bovine like that before. So congratulations to you, Tyler. Tyler's from Wyoming, by the way, and he's one of our original freaks. He's been listening from the very beginning. Appreciate you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So, you know, my friend Felicia, who I play volleyball with. Yes. She just had that new. Uh, it's called a baby. The, yeah. Yeah. And um, she already had the other two. And so I was like, Felicia, you know what you should do. Hello, fresh. Now, her other two are of school age. Exactly. And this is a good time of year to try Hello Fresh because let's face it, it's crazy. If you're a, a parent trying to get the kids to school, get them to uh, football practice or saxophone lessons or skydiving, 
Right. You know, if that's what they're into. Exactly. It is a, a tough time to get back into the swing of things with school schedules. So let HelloFresh take the guesswork out of your meals week after week, Felicia. There are plenty of reasons why you should try HelloFresh. Number one, there are three plans to choose from. You got the classic, you got the veggie, you got the family plan. And you so look forward to your HelloFresh delivery, knowing that dinner just got that much easier. And it is delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. And you spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping each week, and you can get back to more of doing that stuff that you like, like skydiving. And I've never, ever, in our long, loving experiences with HelloFresh, received anything that was any less than amazingly fresh and delicious. They pick out better groceries than I do. I think they have a time machine. I think they go back and they get uh, the ingredients before they are actually created. And that way, when they show up in the mail, they're perfect. Could it be? Could it be? Ancient Ancient alien alien theorists theorists say say yes. yes. Anyway, it's delicious. And let me tell you about something that we'll be receiving this week. Mediterranean roasted vegetables. We're getting this? Yeah. And right now, HelloFresh has a great offer for you, Box of Oddity listeners, you freak. For a total of $60 off, that's 20 bucks off each of your first three boxes, you can visit HelloFresh.com slash box, promo code BOX60. Use promo code BOX60 for $60 off your first three boxes and to show support for the show. And we do appreciate that. And we appreciate delicious fresh produce. That's HelloFresh.com slash box and enter promo code BOX60. And you get 60 bucks off. That's $20 off your first three boxes. HelloFresh is awesome. You know, you found this uh, thing that you're really good at. It's catering. It's photography. It's some sort of art thing and it's amazing and you think all I have to do is get people to know about my thing and then it'll be a hit it's gold from there it's not that easy it's not because once those people want stuff from you there's more work when you're a small business owner you you don't want to spend all your time on paperwork or emails or dealing with payment especially dealing with payment collection Mm. and when you're a creative type That's not something that uh, you enjoy doing. You want to be focused on being creative. Right. And you feel like that's the job. Well, no, the job's all that paper stuff. And that's why there's HoneyBook. HoneyBook is a purpose-built business management platform for creative small businesses. Now, you mentioned uh, artists, uh, designers, also event professionals, uh, photographers, and other solopreneurs. You can save hundreds, if not thousands, of hours a year by adding time-saving automation to your business. They make it easy to streamline the client process so you don't miss a thing. Honeybook. Did you just write that jingle? Yeah, it's part of my new business. And a lot of our beautiful freaks are very creative types. Did you see the uh, comic book that uh, Kit sent us that she drew? Amazing. She illustrates comic books. That's what she does. If you do that sort of thing, HoneyBook is perfect for you. Not just you, Kit, but anybody that does stuff like that. And that's why for a limited time, Box of Oddities listeners can get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code BOX. That's promo code BOX. You get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook and you support the Box of Oddities in doing so. So go to HoneyBook.com today and use promo code BOX to get started and to get finished because 
they will do that other stuff. Remember, because you did the start. Yeah, the, then and they, then the, they we, take yeah. care of that. Because you know that's what they do. Yeah, honeybook honeybook dot com promo code box. We love us some honeybook. I liked your jingle. I want to join in. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Yeah, we need to like Beach Boys this. Okay. No, what's a good band that does harmony? Oh, that's a toughie. Anyway, okay. Honeybook. <laughs> the box of oddities. It's not for everyone. What you got? What you got for me? What you got for me? <laughs> Did you know that in the late 1800s, here in New England, mm-hmm. there was a vampire epidemic? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No. Ooh. Yes. I'm interested. The 1890s. I am here for this. It was really an epidemic because people were really concerned about it to the point where they were going to graveyards with shovels, uh, digging up bodies, exhuming bodies, cutting out internal organs, burning them, and then reburying them. This was to keep the vampires from attacking the local population and to prevent the spread of disease. They wanted to prevent the spread of disease. So So they they, were going out and handling recently deceased bodies. Yep, passing around internal organs that had been in the ground for a while. Yeah, but they were dressed so beautifully. In the 1890s? It's one of my favorite time periods for clothing. That's true. They always look fancy, didn't they? So nice. You know, here they are probably in the graveyard with sweat and dirt stained clothing, but the women are standing by with parasols mm-hmm. and uh, little frilly lace gloves. Puffy sleeves. Yeah. Oh, those hats. Oh, and the big hats. Yeah. So what happened was during this time in, in New England, <laughs> a lot of the uh, population became very sick. Well, yeah, they lived in New England. It yeah. It gets very cold here. Yes, it do. I bet they were all pale. What was happening was was people were just withering away Mm -hmm. they'd be sitting in their house and then over a period of a few days and weeks all of a sudden they would start to to lose weight Mm -hmm. um they looked as though their life was being sucked out of them that's usually how i feel by february in new england yeah here in maine Yeah. yeah i'm with you sister but of course what was happening was not vampirism it was the consumption. It was tuberculosis. Oh, I thought you were going to say vitamin D deficiency. Well, that had something to do with it, I'm sure. Okay. That's why vampires are always cranky. They're not getting enough vitamin D. They're just not in the sun enough. And If you're a vampire, please take your vitamin D supplements. Right. But if um, someone's telling you that you're not getting enough of the D, you want to be very wary of that person. Especially if that person's a vampire. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't want any vampire D. No. So cold. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we've talked about uh, tuberculosis in the past and described some of the uh, symptoms about how, because of the lack of oxygen to one's system, they become a pasty white color. Yep. And they lose a lot of weight. So it, you know, it would look to a person as if the life force is being sucked out of them. So, of course, they thought vampire, which makes a lot of sense. Sure. From that perspective. I so pale. And they couldn't like snowbird to Aruba. No. (laughs) They wouldn't let you onto an aircraft with those old timey parasols these days. So in an attempt to protect the survivors and ward off the effects of uh, the vampires. Sure. uh, And by the way, they didn't call them vampires. They were uh, the undead. They believed that people who they thought had died were actually the living dead and were able to continue to be by sucking the life force out of close 
family members and which makes sense when you think that if your mother died of tuberculosis, you're probably going to die from it too back in 1890. That's true. So they're coming back to take your life force. Right. Yeah. Okay. When they exhumed the body, the corpse was deemed to be feeding on the living if it had, uh, if it was determined that the body was still unusually fresh for the amount of time that it's been dead, especially if the heart or other organs contained liquid blood. Ew. So after the culprit was identified, there were a number of different proposed ways to uh, to stop the attacks. I'm sure this got very creative. The most benign of these was simply to turn the body over in its grave. I guess that way they, they figured vampires couldn't figure out which Rolling. way it was up. <laughs> yeah. Sure. They, they've managed to live for 800 years, but they can't roll over. It's hard. It's so hard. In other cases, families would burn the organs and then rebury the body occasionally. Oh my God, that's so traumatic. Yeah, you would have to dig up a loved one, cut out their heart and other organs. Sure. Burn them and then rebury the body. And occasionally the body uh, would be decapitated. Can you Oh God. Especially if it's like your kid. And you had to dig him up and cut his head off. Right. But it's for the best. It's for the best. Oh, man. This is all according to Wikipedia. In addition to that, when they would burn the organs, sometimes they would make the family members stand around and inhale the smoke. What kind of... Lo- what? Yeah. It was Wait. supposed to, supposed to uh, protect them from f- future energy attacks by... Oh, that's just some made-up shit. That that couldn't have even been close to a justified, actual, like, sure, I get they're sick, something has to be causing it, fine. But you just made that shit up. Nope, that's right here. No, I mean, I don't mean that you did. I mean that some nutter in the town was like, you know what you should do? You know what would be funny? (laughs) Let's tell them if they breathe the smoke. Don't tell them. Don't tell Ethan and Prudence. And I'm guessing everybody was named that back in the 1800s. Sure. I just don't see how that anyone could have reached that conclusion with anything to back it up. Like, I, I mean, I get how you'd get to a lot of these ends. Something must be sucking the life from them. Fine. We must turn them over. Okay, cool. Burn them. Sure. Now, now suck in. smell in their burning organ bits. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, uh. Thoreau wrote about it in his uh, journal when uh, the epidemic first started, September 26th, 1859. He wrote, The savage man is never quite eradicated. I have just read of a family in Vermont who several of its members have died of consumption. Just burn the lungs and heart and liver of the last deceased in order to prevent any more from having it. Huh. Was this Thoreau's fault? I, was he advocating for that, or was he was he saying that's what they were doing? I'm I'm unclear on that. Oh, no this this happened a lot in Rhode Island. When Rhode Islanders moved west into into Connecticut, locals perceived them as uneducated and vicious, which was partially partially due to Rhode Islanders' belief in vampirism. And and again, that was a hotbed of vampire activity during the 1890s. Right. Newspapers were also skeptical, calling the belief in vampirism an old superstition, and a curious idea. When the press dismissed this practice as superstition, the burning of organs was widely accepted as folk medicine in other communities. In Woodstock, where local belief was still present, town records report hundreds of onlookers attending the burning 
of a guy named Frederick Ransom's heart. They all stood around and got a whiff. So that's nice. It's very curious. You know, the, those uh, those gatherings of those kind of weird, morbid events always freak me out anyway. Oh, someone's being stoned. Let's go see. Yeah, public executions and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're burning Ethan's organs. Let's get some cocoa and go check it out. <laughs> we have to wash my, my scarf now. It smells like Ethan's organ smoke. Arguably one of the one of the most well-known cases during the vampire plague of the 1890s was Mercy Brown. Oh. What were you you were nodding your head and then you looked surprised. What? I thought you were going to say Tom Cruise. No, that was down in New Orleans. Mercy Brown's family. In the 1880s, Mary, the mother fell ill with uh, TB and quickly died. The eldest daughter, Mary Olive, also died from the same disease in 1888. Tragically, the son Edwin then became ill in 1890, but he did not die immediately. He lingered. In the meantime, while he was lingering, another daughter, Mercy, Mercy Brown, contracted the disease and died in January of 1892. So the townspeople thought, let's get some shovels and go out to the graveyard and dig them up because one of them's got to be a vampire. Sure. It's the only thing that makes sense. So Mary and Mary Olive had both been buried, and a group of men armed with their shovels dug them up through the the, uh, frozen earth and brought up their coffins to ground level. Caskets were slid across the frozen ground. They gathered around. They pried open the coffins to reveal the bodies inside that that had significantly decayed over time. Mm -hmm. So they said, nope, these these two aren't, they aren't vampires. Mercy's body hadn't been buried yet because it was winter. It was still cold. Okay. And they had put her in an above-ground crypt with the intention of it being buried, you know, when when springtime came around and the ground got softer. That's what we had to do with pets when I was young. Put them right in the freezer. Yeah. Yeah, we had to do that too. That was hard. That was rough. We'd go out for a snack in the middle of the night. There's Barbus next to the Haagen-Dazs. So they pried open Mary's coffin. Onlookers were shocked to see that Mary's body was in pristine condition. According to Historic Mysteries, some sources say her body was not in the original burial position that she had moved. There was absolutely no decay. Her hair and fingernails had grown significantly. And when they pulled her out, a doctor did a, uh, I guess they would call it an autopsy, but they found liquid blood in her heart and other areas of her body it was decided that Mercy was a vampire. Sure. And that, of course, Mercy was responsible for Edwin's lingering disease. I'm sorry, how long had she supposedly been undead for? Not even two months. Okay. So she she had only been dead for a couple of months, and they stored her above ground in the wintertime. Right. So it's pretty obvious what happened there. I mean... They're like, vampire! not understand. Vampire! basics of preservation. Hmm. Well, it didn't come as a surprise to many villagers that she was so well preserved because leading up to this point, there had been stories in the village of people seeing Mercy Brown walking around the graveyard at night. Yeah, that's interesting because I have heard stories of Mercy Brown 
being out and about and really popular for like 10 years and then going away for a period of time. And then there's like a Mercy Brown revival where she's back and does her news show on TV. That's Murphy, Murphy Brown. That's Candace Bergen, who is not a vampire as far as I know. She's so pretty. George Brown had his daughter Mercy's body removed from the casket. The physician removed her heart and her liver and then burned them to ashes. They then mixed it with water and fed it to Edwin. What? Yeah. Edwin died several months later. I'm surprised he didn't die that day. That must have been just... Hey, here, here, buddy. Here, you want some chicken noodle soup? Hmm? How about some sister broth? Oh, jeez. Edwin is the last remaining child? Yeah. So they were just... They were clamoring for anything that might keep him from getting ill. Right, They were probably just insane from loss. Right, and he was already sick and not doing well, so this was a kind of a... A last-ditch effort. Oh, that's horrendous. Obviously, Mercy's remains were preserved because of the freezing temperatures above ground. Sure. That was due. To, that was the lack of decay. Like you would, you know, if you kept a corpse in a freezer. But it doesn't explain the movement of the body or the hair and nail growth. That you often hear, well, that happens after bodies die, hair and nail. That's not true. Um, it, right, your skin recedes. Right, it looks like your nails have grown, but only because you're you're decomposing. But isn't it possible that because of her state of being dead, like her skin changed a bit? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. I mean, they said it was pristine. She looked like uh, she was alive. I'm sure that in that state, in their mental state, that she could have been pretty well decomposed and they would have been like oh she looks just right <laughs> it could be. never look better and then of course you know the sightings of her stumbling around the graveyard after she was dead mm-hmm. um body being frozen doesn't explain that but that's probably just something that was tacked on at the end to make the story sound better by the local villagers right and we all know how those rhode islanders are will you get off rhode island's case your friends moved to Rhode Island. You miss them. It's not Rhode Island's fault. Stop picking on Rhode Island. Pick on a state your own size. Are you saying I'm bigger than Rhode Island? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, of course, as we moved into the uh, 20th century and tuberculosis was more well understood from a scientific perspective, mm-hmm. the link between tuberculosis and vampirism uh, pretty much dissolved. Sure. It was no longer a, an issue. That's when we became so medically advanced that we stopped burning corpse organs and breathing them in and then just started putting TB patients out on a porch in the wintertime uh, as a cure. Yep. Moving right ahead. That's fascinating. I really, really enjoyed that story. I mean, it was also thoroughly upsetting, but that was a great job. Well done, you. Thank you. And I wanted to... I. What is that? There's a picture of her gravesite. People still make pilgrimages there to, to see her gravesite. Here's a uh, photocopy of a uh, satirical cartoon from the Boston Globe, which accompanied an article describing superstitious beliefs in rural Rhode Island while they were making fun of people in Rhode Island. Maybe you could post that on our social media. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much people in Boston were... They, it's they, so tr- snarky. It is. They're just treating people in Rhode Island like a bunch of hicks. 
I love it. Back in the 1800s. So anyway, there you go. Vampires in the 1890s. Really just tuberculosis patients. The end. Those are crazy times when really, you know, nowadays you need to get a court order to dig somebody up. Back then you just needed a shovel. Right. Maybe that's what my mom's goal is. Like she wants to protect me from some sort of um, vampirism. And that's why she wants me to burn her on a pyre. Is she back to that again? Yeah, we'll get to it at some point. I'm All sure. right. Okay. I got to get going because I got to get back to TV watching. The Box of Oddities happens twice a week. It falls from the sky and lands lovingly in your lap on Monday and Thursday. We look forward to seeing you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. And don't dig up any corpses and burn their organs and breathe the smoke. Stop it. Unless that's what you want to do. I mean... And you've got a court order. Shovel. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>